You're listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. I want to add my welcome uh, to Mark's. We're so glad you've joined us this morning. Uh, as you're being seated, if you want to be getting out your Bibles, we will eventually end up in Philippians 4. We're going to hop around a little bit uh, before we get there. You know, it's the middle of the summer now, and every year, this time of year, I often think about a place that I spend a lot of time as in my summers growing up. It was a summer camp called Alpine Camp up in northeast Alabama, up in the very top corner, uh, almost to Tennessee. It's uh, the very edge of the Appalachian Mountains, so it's kind of in the mountains. Beautiful place. It was a really rustic uh, camp, and so the cabins there were just these little one-room cabins. The windows were just these metal screen windows, no air conditioning. You had a, uh, you had electricity. Technically, it was just a light bulb hanging from the ceiling. That's really all you got. Uh, that was your big perk there. I grew up going as a, a kid. I was a camper there, and then when I was in college, I went and I worked as a counselor. And uh, the summer I was there as a counselor, I got to be good friends with another counselor, a guy who was there. Uh, his name was Jim. And y'all, Jim was from East Tennessee. He was a hillbilly. Not just by the way where he was from and where he was born, but by the way he lived his life, okay? So on your average day at this camp, here's what Jim would look like. He would be wearing blue jean cut-off shorts, no shoes, and no shirt, okay? Walking around the mountains. Jim could play the banjo. And so you'd see him in the cabin picking on the banjo, right? He had blonde hair. Not quite a mullet, but we're like knocking on the door of a mullet with this dude's hair. He is checking off all the boxes of, I grew up in Appalachia, okay? Great guy. I love this guy. He was so fun to hang out with. And we got paired together. So every cabin had two counselors. And it just so happened, we got paired together right in the middle of the summer. And this great thing happens in the middle of summer. You get a three-day break. Three days, no kids. And man, we headed into civilization. I had some family in Birmingham. We went and stayed there. Had a home-cooked meal, watched some TV, enjoyed all of our air conditioning. It was amazing. Well, then time came to head back, and we headed back, and we got there a few hours uh, before the next batch of kids were showing up. So we had some time to kill. So we're sitting there. We had a little staff lounge. We're sitting there hanging out, uh, trying to figure out what we should do. And man, Jim, he chimes in, man, I know what we should do. Right before we left, my mama, she baked me some homemade brownies, sent them in the mail. I left them in a backpack in the cabin. Man, let's go get them brownies my mama made. I said, Jim, that sounds like a great idea. I'm with you. So we go take off to the cabin. Uh, we're going to get those brownies, hang out a little bit. We walk in the door like we usually do, you know, hop up the steps, swing open that, that uh, screen door, walk in there, and then y'all chaos erupts. I don't know if you've ever experienced the chaos of surprising a wild animal. You didn't know it was there. Maybe you stepped on a snake or there was a bird, didn't know you were there, surprised them. You know, there's this moment where it's just chaos, and your brain is trying to figure out what on earth is going on. There's lots of movement from things you didn't know were there, and it's just kind of crazy. Well, y'all, when we step in that cabin, what erupts, I can only describe as like a woodland animal tornado, okay? We go in, we get in the middle of the room, and all of a sudden there's something running around, doing laps around the vertical walls of that cabin. I mean, just doing laps, not touching the ground at all. He is defying all the laws of physics, just going round and round and round. Finally, after about 15 laps, y'all, this thing stops like in the top corner of our cabin. 
And then our, our brains can kind of process, we can kind of figure out what's going on. And so we look up there, and looking back at us is the fattest squirrel I've ever seen in my life. His heart is going at like ludicrous speed. His eyes are about the size of frying pans. Y'all, this squirrel is freaking out. His mouth is dark brown. I mean, his mouth and his cheeks, everything. And that's when I look over and I see my friend Jim's backpack on the ground with a hole chewed in it and brownie pieces all over the floor. So what had happened is we left for three days. This squirrel somehow got through a hole in the screen or something, got in our cabin, could not get out, and for three days has been gorging on Jim's mom's fudge brownies. Okay? And he is looking at us, man, his heart's going, he's, he's all freaked out, and he has the biggest sugar high the animal kingdom has ever seen. That's essentially what's going on in this cabin right now. And no joke, we're frozen. He, you know, looking up at him, he's like freaked out, looking back at us. I literally, I do this. And here he goes again, 15 more laps around. Just has all the energy for days. Finally, he stops again after about 15 more laps. And so everything's kind of calming down. We're at a standoff now. We're at a staring contest. Y'all, nothing in my life has prepared me for what to do in this situation. I got nothing. I got no clue what we're supposed to do here. Jim, my buddy, everything in his life has prepared him for this situation. Everything. He, knows, he is not worried at all. I'm like, Jim, what are we going to do? He's like, man, don't worry about it. We got this. Here, Clint, go prop the door open. So I slowly back away. You know, the squirrel's like, what are you doing? Slow movements. I get a broom. I prop the door open. And then <laughs> Jim goes, all right, man, just do what I do. This is an exact reenactment of what Jim did to- toward this squirrel. He starts walking toward the squirrel going... <laughs> At this point, it's hard for me to figure out if this is real life <laughs> or just the weirdest dream I've ever had. So I'm like, Jim, what are you doing? He goes, no, man, this is how you calm an animal down. Do it. He goes, I'll go over here. You'll go over here. We'll flush him out towards the door, and he'll run out. What else am I going to do? Okay. So I'll go, I'll go over here. He goes over. Y'all, the squirrel. So he goes from like, Ooh. the squirrel starts being like hypnotized. Our, I don't know, our little dance, whatever we're doing. And sure enough, he's like, oh. And he just calmly walks down and walks out of the cabin. True story, guys. Weirdest thing to ever happen to me. Y'all, we walked into that cabin. We had no idea what was coming for us. In fact, we expected that cabin to be just like we left it. We assumed, hey, man, we've walked in that cabin 100 times, right? Man, right in the door, no problem. Everything's just like we want it. Walk out. But y'all, the problem was, all those other times we walked in the cabin, we were living in it. We were cleaning it. We were attentive to it. We were putting stuff all in the right spot. The problem was, this time, we'd gone for three days. We'd left. We'd peaced out. And we forgot that this cabin is in the middle of some woods filled with all kinds of animals that would love to sneak in and eat our brownies. Y'all, the Bible says our minds, our thought life, can be just like that cabin. Man, if we're present in there, if we're attentive to it, if we tend to it, we clean things out, everything can be in just the right spot. But if we ignore it, if we check out, man, sometimes we think we're going to come back and things will be just like they left it. No, no, no. Y'all, we live in a world filled with things that will sneak into our minds, sneak into our thoughts, and eat our brownies. The Bible puts it like this in Romans 12, 2. It says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. 
that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This verse says, in the mind is the power of transformation, for good or bad. I tell you all what happens in our minds and our thoughts is terribly important. And we're going to find out today the scripture really gives us two options. You can be intentional in your thought life. This verse says, renew it daily, tend to it daily. Every day, clean out the, what's bad and put up what's good. You can renew it daily. And if you do that, it says you know the will of God. You know what's good and true and perfect. Or you can be passive, absent, ignore it, neglect it. Listen, the world, if you do that, the world outside is going to move right in, and it's going to eat your brownies. There's a moment, like I said, we'll look at Philippians 4. It's going to tell us, okay, what should be in our minds? How do we tend to our minds? But first, I want us to notice how the Bible describes our minds. Because the Bible describes our minds, our thought life, y'all, as a battlefield. A battlefield. Let's turn to Romans 7. You'll have to turn there. We'll have it on the screen. Romans 7, 23. Paul says this, but I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. He's saying there's a war going on. The law of righteousness versus the law of sin. And ground zero, y'all, for that war is my mind, is my thought life. 2 Corinthians 10, 5 puts it this way. It says, we destroy arguments every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Y'all, destroy, take captive. Them's fighting words, right? This is how the Bible describes our thought life. Follow the quote by J.C. Ryle. He says this, you know a Christian not only by his inner peace, but by his inner warfare. That's so true. You know a Christian not only by his inner peace, but by his inner warfare. The problem is, we often don't like to see our minds as a battlefield, right? That's no fun. A lot of times we see our minds and our thoughts more like a lazy river. Man, I just kick on back, you know, relax, and let the current take me wherever it wants to go. And y'all, in this situation, the current, the thing that's carrying us a lot of time, man, that's just our, our circumstances, whatever's going on in our life right now, or however we happen to feel. Are we in a good mood or are we in a bad mood? Or whatever the world around us tells us is good and right and true. And y'all, those are the things in the driver's seat, just taking us wherever they want us to go. I'm here to tell you, and this is what the Bible wants us to know this morning. If we view our mind and our thoughts like this, like a lazy river where we're just coasting based on however we feel that day, that is a recipe for a squirrel to come eat your brownies. I love the way Margaret Thatcher put it. She said, watch your thoughts, for they become your words. Watch your words, for they become your actions. Watch your actions, for they become habits. Watch your habits, for they become your character. And watch your character, for it becomes your destiny. What we think, we become. What we think, we become. Why? Because all the way down the road, your habits, your character, all of those things, it all starts in the battlefield of your mind. So as a Christian, you know, if my thought life, it's, man, it's important, it's a battlefield, I've got to fight that battle. What, what does that look like to fight the battle of my mind? What do we put in our cabin in our minds? Well, that's what we're going to turn to Philippians 4.8 to find out. So if you've got your Bibles with you, you can open them up. If not, the, verses, the verse will be on the screen. Paul says this, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, 
whatever is pure, whatever is, love, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. If there's anything excellent, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. I'm going to start at the end, talk about this word think that he uses a little bit. This, this word think, it means to contemplate, to ponder, to decide. And so it's more than just something fleetingly, quickly entering your mind in one ear, out the other. And so you may have had this experience driving before. You know, you're driving and uh, you're kind of paying attention to traffic. You notice a car passes you, but that's about all you know. And so 10 seconds later, if I ask you, okay, what color was the car? How many people were in the car? You know, what uh, make and model was the car? You would have no idea. You didn't think on it, dwell on it, contemplate it. Let's say you're driving in a, a classic car, drives by a car you don't see every day, maybe a a Mustang from the 60s. Man, as it drives by, you turn your head and you notice and you're looking at it. And so later on, I could ask you, hey, what color was that car? You could tell me who was driving that car. You could tell me the make of that car. Why? Because you thought on it. You contemplated it. You dwelled on it. And so that that word to think, it's everything that happens after that first millisecond, something enters your mind. And so y'all, this is not a see no evil, hear no evil type deal. We live in the world. We're going to see and hear Plenty, uh, plenty of evil. It's about everything that happens right after that first millisecond. When your will, willpower kicks in and you start to decide, am I going to fight this battle in my mind or am I going to just float down the lazy river? And so here's what should be in here. He starts off saying, Man, think about, dwell on what's true. Whatever's true. If you're going to obsess on something and think on something with your mind, you better make sure it's true. And y'all, we don't love that sometimes. A lot of times, man, we want to, to stick in our minds the things that feel good. And even when it comes to how we think about God, sometimes we have this, this idea that, hey, as long as I'm sincere, as long as I'm genuine, as long as I have good intentions, man, maybe I'll be right about some things, wrong about some things, but my, my heart's in the right place, and that's what's most important. Well, y'all, I want you to imagine something for me. You know, imagine uh, me and Melissa, my wife here, you know, we've uh, been separated, we've been out of town uh, for a while, and I just miss her. And man, I'm thinking about her all the time, dwelling on her, and I just want to know how much I love her and how much I miss her. So I'll call her up. Say, you know, I just can't wait to see you again. You just look so beautiful with your blonde hair, your green eyes. I just miss you so much, Jennifer. Well, y'all, uh, her name's Melissa, not Jennifer. She doesn't have blonde hair. She doesn't have green eyes, right? Is that conversation going to go well for me? No, because none of that's true. But wait, wait, my intentions are genuine. I'm sincere. I really do miss her. I really am thinking about her. I really did want to just let her know that. That's all genuine. Yeah, but it's not true. It's not based on the truth. So even when my emotions are genuine and sincere, they've got to be based on truth. So what's true? Well, we just did a study in 2 Timothy. We found out God's word is true. All scripture is God-breathed. It's beneficial. Those words are true. And so a great place to start on the battlefield of your mind is in God's words because we know that it is true. And so everything that flows will be based in truth. And man, the truth with many of us so often is, man, our minds get filled with all kinds of things that are genuine and sincere and feel good and are completely wrong, completely false. So base it on truth. Then he says, whatever is honorable. This word means elevated, not of this world. And so 
Uh, it's a word that usually they use in reference to gods and deities. Why? Because they're not like us common folk. They would even use it of their leaders because leaders, they were supposed to be like special in all the best ways. And so Paul is saying here, you know, a good, a good test when you take notice of what's in your mind and your thought life is, hey, is this, man, is this something you'd want your leaders doing and saying and acting? Or even God, is this something that God would do or say and act? Or even just put on the leadership uh, hat yourself. Is this something that would help me lead my wife, my family, my job? If not, it's not honorable. And he says, whatever is just. Just, we tend to think immediately our minds kind of go to a courtroom, right? Guilty or not guilty. Well, this word is way bigger than you may think just a courtroom, guilty or not guilty. Being just is all about assigning people their proper value. And so it is totally unjust to declare someone who's innocent to declare them guilty. That's totally unjust, right? What's also unjust, y'all, is things like meanness. Things like annoyance or dismissiveness. Man, they're not worthy of my time and my attention. I got way more important things than them. That's not showing that person their proper value. That is unjust. So do you think about others with the value they have? Do you think about yourself with the value that you have? You know, it's so easy, isn't it, for our minds to be filled with thoughts that don't reflect the value that we have in Christ. Because he stitched us and knitted us together because we are his creation. And man, I can so easily direct that at other people, and I can so easily forget to direct that at myself. So whatever is just, let that fill your mind. He says, whatever is pure. You know, this is not just physical purity, which is what we normally uh, immediately go to. Think of it like this, pure gold or pure water. If something like that is pure, there's nothing in it that is not that thing, right? So if pure gold, there's nothing in that that is not gold. Everything in it is gold. It means unified, untarnished. And so when it comes to our thought life, what is impure is anything that distracts us from Christ. Anything that tries to get in their minds and mix it up and make it impure. And y'all, there is many examples of what that could be as there are people in this room. Because we can all just about make an idol out of anything. And man, the pursuit of our life is now impure. I'll tell you one of mine. I'll go first. How about that? Money. Money for me. Now, you may be thinking, wow, if you really want lots of money, you may need to pick a different you know, vocation. And it's funny how God works in that way. But y'all, it's not, it's not so I can like live an extravagant life and have lots of stuff. That would actually make kind of sense. Mine makes no sense. So you can, you can ask my wife, anytime I have a birthday, Christmas coming up, she's going to have to ask me two times what I want. Because the answer the first time is always going to be money. That's what I want. Money. Just give me money. That's all I want. Well, what are you going to do with it? Here's the deal. Nothing. I'm going to do nothing with it. I'm going to have it. That's what I want to do. I want to have the money, right? I want the little, when I go on my bank account, that little number, I want it to go up a little bit. That's it. Why? Well, I can get on, you know, online and look at my bank account. That number went up a little bit. Man, there's some security in that, right? Man, then I, I know, hey, no matter what happens, we get thrown a curveball tomorrow. Hey, we're going to be okay. We got enough money in the bank. Man, I can pat myself on the back. I'm doing a good job as a dad, as a husband, providing for my family. And so now, man, my identity, my security for the future 
is not in Christ anymore. It's now in this very small number I see when I log on. It's like in hypothetical money. Yo, let me be clear. That's dumb. That is totally dumb. There is no security in that. Absolutely none. Finding my identity in that is fleeting. Because guess what? It's never enough, right? Because then i got to log in the next day and see if it went up or down again. That's what our impure thoughts do. They, they're impure because I'm finding my identity, trying to find it both in Christ and in my bank account. And it's crazy. You have one of those. Fight that battle in your mind. Don't let it win. Finally, he says, whatever is lovely. Lovely. To me, this is the most Downton Abbey sounding word. You know, you almost got to say it with a British accent. Lovely. How are we doing today? Lovely. Uh, it doesn't sound very manly. You know, I love this word. It's an amazing word. It means attractive. It means attractive in a way that brings out love in other people. So if I'm lovely, I love in a way that also calls out, brings out love in you. So think of a person. Think of a person that you know and admire or who, when you're around, man, they just make you want to be a better person. Maybe they have great faith. Maybe they have great love. Maybe they have a great prayer life. Maybe they're just a lot of fun. Whatever it is, man, you're around them and you think, man, I just wish I could have the faith they do. I just wish I could have the prayer life they do. Listen, that person is living their life in a way that is calling out that same response in you. Does that characterize most of our thoughts? I would say for me, not a lot. Man, think about how much that you is in your mind, in our thoughts, in our daily life every day that doesn't bring out love in ourselves and others. Man, there's so much to think about that just appeals to our basis desires. It draws out fear, draws out resentment, draws out selfishness, draws out materialism. Man, your thought life can draw these things out of you. You know, if we're too passive with our thoughts, we start to do things like reenact over and over how we were wronged. Maybe that's just me. You know, what does that pull out of me? I mean, that pulls bitterness out of me, jealousy out of me. You know, we think about all the things we're owed, but we don't have. What does that draw? Well, that just draws entitlement out of me. You know, maybe we spend a lot of our mental energy just thinking about all the things we could get to make us feel good. And so, man, that just, that just draws, draws out coveting, materialism, draws those things out of our heart. But God calls his people to be different. He calls us to put things in our mind that will draw love out of ourselves and others. And he says, whatever's commendable, fill your mind with those things. That word commendable means worthy of praise, unoffensive, respectful. It has this connotation of words that are carefully chosen out of value and respect for the other person. So I'll give you an example. Last weekend, uh, my wife and I, we celebrated our anniversary. We went back to Waco, Texas, where the magic all started. Uh, we both went to Baylor, and we met there. It was our first time back in a while, and we ended up sitting uh, in the very same swing where I first asked her to be my girlfriend. Isn't that lovely? I know, it's cute too. Thank you, Adam. Uh, and she asked me, we were talking about that, and she was like, you know, you playing that? Or, you know, what, what, was, what was up with that? And I'm trying to play it cool. I'm like, oh, yeah, that was all, you know, just stream of consciousness. I, yeah, I was playing it cool, no big deal. 
Well, then she's like, no, because remember, you did this thing and you did this thing. And of course she's right, she's right y'all, right? That was all very carefully choreographed and obsessed over. Of course I've thought about what I was going to say. I thought about what I was going to say, how I was going to say it. I'd practice in front of the mirror. I'd get my roommates together. We'd like rehearse, you know, like, why? Because I loved her and I valued her and I cared what she thought. And so I wanted my words and my actions and my thoughts to be commendable to her. You know, I think this is one we need to hear in our age and our culture because many times, let's be honest, Christians' words, actions, let alone our thoughts, are not commendable. They aren't respectful. In fact, they can be offensive. You know, often we think we're standing up for God, and really, y'all, we're just kind of being a jerk. You know, it's so easy to make our pride, our disrespect, even our hate for other people okay by spiritualizing it. I saw an example of this on the news a while ago. They were, uh, it was, happened in Austin, uh, down at the Capitol. There was some kind of gathering ceremony going on for some group. I think it was like a Muslim group that had done something in the society, and, and they're kind of uh, recognizing that or whatever. Couldn't really tell exactly what's going on because uh, some lady was talking to the microphone, and right then some other lady runs on the stage, grabs the microphone, and yells, I declare this Capitol for Jesus Christ. Of course, everybody's like, boo, you know. And then 200 people came to believe in Jesus that day. No. Right? Do we really think anyone's going to, like, repent and follow Jesus when we act like that? No. You know, this is one of the big problems with social media. Every study they've done finds that all of us are way more likely to be mean and offensive than we ever would to a person standing right in front of us. Like we think because there's a screen between us, because it's an email address or a, a Facebook or a Twitter handle, that's not a real person. Y'all, what if the church was different? What if we, all of our interactions, man, we believe that as a person created by God on the other end of that, and so we thought and acted in a way that was commendable, just like Jesus did. 1 Peter 2, 22 through 23 says, He committed no sin, he being Jesus, neither was deceit found in his mouth, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. See, Jesus was there. He was innocent, but man, he was being reviled. Why didn't he just respond to the actions and the ugliness of the other people? Because he was thinking and acting carefully based on the value, not even just for those people, but on the value he had for his Father in heaven. That's what it means to be commendable. And finally, he closes with whatever... Whatever is excellent and praiseworthy. It's kind of a catch-all. Hey, if I've left anything off the list, include that. And everything on this list is excellent and praiseworthy. But there's a very important qualification in these words. It's not just excellent and praiseworthy to you. It's excellent and praiseworthy on its own accord. To you, to me, to God, and to a watching world. And you'll find this strand in, throughout the New Testament. Did you know there's evangelism training in the New Testament? It's true, there is. Before we ever wrote our first track, before we ever came up with our first training and program, or did our first, you know, stadium, whatever, there was evangelism training in the New Testament. And here's what it says over and over. Here's how you tell a watching world about Jesus. Live excellent and praiseworthy lives. That's it. Matthew 5, 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works, and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. That's how it always works. 
Man, people see your good works and they glorify God because of it. 1 Peter 2.12, keep your conduct honorable so they may see your good deeds and then what? Glorify God. Titus 2, 7 and 8, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. So even your enemies, even your opponents, man, they look and they're put to shame because they're like, I would love to complain about this guy, but I got nothing. I got nothing. But remember, back to Philippians 4, 8 here. Remember, he's not just talking about our actions. What's he talking about? He's talking about the thoughts in our heads. Does that make anyone else nervous? Man, I'm reading that list, and I'm like, okay, if we can go by actions, maybe if I get lucky, like on a really good day, you know, I'll get like two a year of something that's excellent and praiseworthy. You know, maybe I wake up on the right side of my bed, I read my Bible four times that day, you know, I kept it together, and I did something good. But now you want to examine even every single one of my thoughts, the thoughts in my mind that led up to that. I can't do that. Man, it feels like running into battle, you know you're going to lose. So how on earth can we live this out? Well, really, three ways that I, that I think the Scriptures want, to, want us to live this out. The first is this, know Jesus. Know Jesus. Here's what you need to know about this list we just went through. Paul is not describing a random set of concepts. He's not describing a random set of rules. You know what he's describing? He's describing a person. And so the question isn't, what is just? The question is, who is just? The question isn't, what is lovely? The question is, who is lovely? And this is super important. This is so important for your Christian life. Trying to win the battle of your mind without knowing Jesus is like trying to think about someone you've never met. So what if I told all of you, here's how you, here's how you know the will of God. Everyone think about my brother Will all day, every day. Well, that's going to be really hard because most of you have never met my brother Will. But what if I like show you a picture and I describe them for you in a couple of ways? Well, that's great. That'll last you about 10 seconds, right? But not every thought of our minds, taking every thought captive, it'll never work. Compare that or contrast that to someone you're madly in love with, right? And man, you can't help but think about them. You know all the big things about them, but you also know all the little things about them, right? That's what Paul is talking about here. He's essentially saying, Think about Jesus and what he is like. And to do that, you have to know him. You have to know him. Second, you've got to fight the, the battle. Remember, 2 Corinthians 10.5, take every thought captive. You have to decide to, and it's going to take all of your willpower. It's going to take perseverance. It's going to be hard. You've got to decide to get off the lazy river and say, this is, going to, this is a battle I'm going to decide to fight. And how do you do that? What are your weapons for this battle? Well, again, it's that list in Philippians 4.8. And here's how it works. You have to you have to know the good and use it to expel the bad. And so think of it like this. If I told you, hey, whatever you do, don't think about an elephant. What are you going to do? You're going to think about an elephant. What if I say, hey, think about a tiger? And that tiger expels that elephant out of your mind, right? Well, this is how this works. This is how, why God gave us the scriptures in his truth. And it's not just enough to say, you know, let's say you struggle with finding your identity and your outward appearance. And so it's not just enough, you'll never win, but just by saying, okay, don't think about how I look, don't think about how I look, don't think about how I look. It's never going to work. What do you need? You need to think about what is just. You need to think about what gives people, including yourself, their value. And that truth 
will expel, it will kick out the lie. Man, if you struggle with bitterness, you know, think about in your mind, you mull over and over all the different ways you'd love to hurt that person that hurt you. What's going to kick that out? Don't be bitter. Don't be bitter. No, that'll never work. Think about the one that is commendable. Think about 1 Peter 2, 22 through 23 that we read earlier. Man, and that truth will get, begin to expel the lie. That's how you renew your mind. So know Jesus, fight the battle, and ask for supernatural help. Man, a key to all of this is found just one verse over. One verse before, Philippians 4, 7. He says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We have help. Through the Holy Spirit, God can guard our minds in a way we never could on our own. It's like me in the middle of the cabin with that squirrel. Y'all, I had no idea what to do to end that chaos. I needed to help my friend, the one who knew what to do, the one who could guide me. Listen, trying to control your mind without Christ in you is like going, running out on the battlefield wearing nothing but your pajamas and no weapons. Spoiler alert, you're going to lose. You don't have what it takes. You know what? If you go out and fight this battle on your own, listen, one of two things is going to happen. Either you'll go out and you'll fail and you know you, you will know you failed. Man, and that's going to end with all kind of anger, frustration, hopelessness. Or, second option, you're going to go out and fail and think you've succeeded. Man, that's going to lead to you being legalistic. You're going to be no fun to be around, I promise. That's why the Bible says we have a helper. Through the Holy Spirit, God himself can live inside you on that battlefield. Y'all, this is the way the Christian life works. Down to the little thoughts we think every day. Christianity, y'all, isn't about winning the battle and being the hero. It's about inviting the hero in and having him fight with you. That's the Christian life. And so, y'all, we are supposed to. We are supposed to read this list in Philippians 4.8 and think, I don't have it. I don't have that kind of righteousness in me. I mean, not just in my actions, but all the way down to my thoughts. It's not in me. You know, we often talk about inviting Jesus into our hearts. I can't help but wonder this morning if there's some of you who need to invite Jesus into your mind. You know, if we're honest, there's all kind of woodland animals living in there, moving in, tearing things up, and we need help. I'm not this, but we need the one who is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, and praiseworthy. We need him to transform us. So church, as we leave this morning, here's what I would call you to do. Know Jesus. And if you don't, I would love to talk to you after the service. We have elders, they'll have name tags on. They would love to talk to you after the service. Know Jesus. Fight the battle. Replace the lies in your mind with the truth and ask for supernatural help. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at Bethelbible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.